This podcast series is part of Hashtag Hour, a new grassroots project that brings together personal stories of all backgrounds to widen discussions on existing and important issues that are often silenced. Interested in the project or want to contribute to our work? Check out www.ourcontext.org. What does it mean to be Jewish, Israeli, and gay? In this episode, Dan is going to tell us what it's like to face microaggressions regarding both his religion and nationality on a daily basis. His story sheds light to the complexity of racism, the problems of the current anti-racist movement, and how far we have yet to go to tackle the issue. I'm Fumi, this is Hashtag Our Racism, and this is the story of Dan. I was born and raised in um, Haifa, Israel, which is in the north of Israel. And I have a brother and two sisters. My parents got divorced when I was pretty young, but didn't really impact me very much. I don't even remember it. So kind of had, you know, this alternative family structure going on and uh, grew up in the suburbs. So it was a very chill, laid back upbringing. Growing up in Israel, Dan didn't think much about anti-Semitism or discrimination aimed towards Jews because he was the majority and took things for granted. It wasn't until he got exposed to life in the U.S. and Europe as a minority that he slowly began to make sense of it. In Israel, as a Jew, you're privileged. You don't get discriminated against because you're Jewish. And that is not the story for Jews elsewhere. And that is something that, you know, as Israelis, we're very naive about, because for us, being Jewish is very much for granted, because, you know, our everything around you is meant to support you being Jewish. It recognizes your symbols. Abroad, if you're Jewish, you really need to fight for being Jewish. You know, you need to prove it to yourself. You need to make an effort. If you want to eat kosher, you have to buy kosher food. In Israel, all food is almost inherently kosher. That's just what you get. You don't need to make an effort for it. You have to make an effort to be a Jewish community that usually revolves around some sort of institution or establishment. You need to make an effort to get to know Jewish people and have your kids grow up in a Jewish surrounding to sign them up for a Jewish school in Israel. Everything is Jewish. Your school is Jewish. You learn Bible in school. I mean, everybody around you is Jewish because you grow up in a Jewish neighborhood, most likely if you're Jewish. So these things that we take for granted in Israel, when I was first exposed to life as a Jew in the diaspora, which was in, I think, in the United States, really in California, really struck me as how difficult it was for them, like how much effort, how much money they put into being Jewish. And there wasn't a lot of anti-Semitism in California when I was there, which was around 2012. And it wasn't really something that people there were worried about. So I didn't really get to feel that when I was there. And I kind of felt like, you know, anti-Semitism is this problem that's not really an issue anymore, I guess. Um, we always, you know, look at the Holocaust as the culmination of centuries of anti-Semitism and what it can do, which led to genocide. I mean, I lost, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. My mom's mom's side of the family died in the Holocaust, but I never knew any of them. And none of my relatives were survivors. They either escaped before or they died. So there is no kind of personal connection to that. And so it took me a while to really understand what anti-Semitism was about and how it manifests. And so in Israel, we have these kind of mandatory, not mandatory at all, actually, like you don't have to go, but most people go on journeys to Poland, to all the concentration camps and death camps to kind of get to know that part of history and kind of pay our respects. I've gone twice, once in high school, most people go in high school, 
I think that's very young to go because you don't really understand what you're seeing. And I went again in university and that was a really powerful experience because you really get to kind of connect on an intellectual and an emotional level, much more so than you're like a teenage kid and you're you know abroad with your friends for the first time, you're just getting drunk on the bus. It's not the same. I mean, the size of the tragedy really struck me and made me think more about what does it mean to me to be a Jewish person? I mean, being Jewish and gay in the Holocaust, I would have been dead twice. I wouldn't have stood a chance. And a social Democrat, oh my God, forget about it. I mean, so it kind of started these thoughts for me of where Jews are in, in the world. What is our place? And what happens if one day people decide to hate us again? And in the last few years, I think all of us have really seen what happens when that reality forms around us. And you see anti-Semitism rising all over the world. And it's terrifying because you don't feel safe anymore as a Jew. And the scariest part is that, I mean, I, I look white, you know, I passed in most European countries. People wouldn't say I'm Jewish or think I'm Jewish because I'm not traditional Jew. I don't wear any Jewish characteristics. But this passing as white is very scary. It's very oppressive because the moment you say that you're Jewish, you don't know how people will react. And the moment people know, it can change their attitude towards you. If you choose to live a more Jewish lifestyle, you're putting yourself at risk because most of the terrorist attacks that have been against Jewish institutions, you know, Jewish supermarkets, synagogues, Jewish schools. There have been so many instances in Europe, in France, and Germany, um, here in the UK. I mean, if you want to live your life as an out proud Jewish person, then you're putting yourself at risk in Europe nowadays. And it's very, very frustrating because on the one hand, you see anti-Semitism rising in Europe and greater awareness to it. But then on the other hand, a lot of people don't get that anti-Semitism is racism. And that is something that was really important for me to talk about because people don't get why it's racism. Because Judaism for a lot of people is just a religion and you can't be racist against a religion. And the thing is that Judaism is not just a religion. Like Jewishness is an ethnic group as well. You're born Jewish. So if your mom is Jewish, you're Jewish. It's something that's inherited. Not a lot of people convert to Judaism at all, but on purpose, by the way, by design, because we make it very difficult to convert to Judaism. So you're mostly born Jewish. And you know there've been lots of different studies and genetics and how Jewish people from pretty much all over the world share genes. Just because, you know, the last 2000 years, we've been kind of scattered all over the place. Of course, you look like where you come from because there's been all this intermingling, but you're still Jewish. That's your ethnic and cultural identity and not necessarily your religious one. Most of the people that I know in Israel are not religious Jews at all. They're culturally, ethnically Jewish. But then a lot of them look white. And for a lot of people, you can't be racist against white people. And I feel like for me, it's very, very frustrating to have conversations with white people who are not Jewish, who are like, oh yeah, but you're white as well. You know, like when I would talk to them about other different issues of racism, like Black Lives Matters and all that stuff. It's incredible that people are so ignorant, but then again, I don't know, I guess, because racism has been defined by the color of people's skin. You know, that's, that's the easiest way to tell apart different races, quote unquote, then people don't really care about those who are not brown or black, even though they're different ethnic identities. And it really, to me, sparks a conversation about what is race? Because in the end, of, I mean, race is bullshit. It's nothing. Race is a construct. I mean, because of 
person has a darker skin because a person has maybe different features doesn't make him a different race. We're all the human race. We're not actually different. We just use those characteristics to separate ourselves because that's how we've been taught to do and to associate people who have certain characteristics with certain qualities, with a certain nature. And we've had it so ingrained to us that we don't recognize how bullshit it is anymore. And when you're not brown or black, you're still a different race because 70 years ago, my relatives were murdered for being Jewish, not for praying in synagogue. They were all secular Jews. They did not pray in synagogue. They did not eat kosher. They were German. And as German as they can as they can be. I mean, my grandma grew up speaking German at home. She didn't even know Hebrew because her parents didn't want to. And she, her parents actually moved back to Germany after the Holocaust because they could not get along in Israel. They could not mingled into Israeli Jewish society. They didn't feel like they were Israeli Jewish. They felt German and they went back. And it, it's something that really irks me that people don't treat anti-Semitism as seriously as they treat racism. And that it's kind of an invisible type of racism because I'm not brown or black and I'm passing. And I feel like a lot of biracial people that I've spoken to actually have a lot of these kind of feelings as well. You know, if they pass as white, but then the moment that somebody knows that they're mixed, or if they look a little bit different sometimes and somebody can kind of pick up on it, then they get a totally different treatment from the rest of the world. Dan says his daily experiences of anti-Semitic racism comes from two fronts. One as a Jew and another as an Israeli. It's been mostly microaggressions of people not really knowing what Judaism is, what it means to be Jewish. Um, I've had people asking me very silly questions, not because they meant to, you know, maybe even offensive questions, just because they don't really know what I'm about, what it means. Um, oh, you don't eat pork. Oh, so like, oh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even try bacon, you know, stuff like that, even though I eat bacon because like, whatever. But yeah, that also throws people in a spin. They're like, what, you eat bacon, but you're Jewish. How is that possible? Or people are like, oh, you don't look Jewish, which is, I feel like the most offensive thing that people can say to you, like, you don't look Jewish as if there is a certain way that Jews are supposed to look, you know, I'm like, oh, so how should I look like big nose? Um, I'm not exceedingly rich, which people are very surprised by. Um, I don't control the media, surprisingly. So yeah, people have a lot of different uh, conceptions. Whenever I'm meeting someone new, I never hide that I'm Jewish. But I always wonder what kind of conversation I'm going to get into because of it. It's much less scary for me to say I'm gay in Europe than it is to say that I'm Jewish. And that's kind of funny, definitely kind of weird. That only from being Jewish. Being Israeli comes with its own set of challenges. Because when you're Israeli, especially in Europe, then it's always about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And that is actually exhausting for me personally. As a person who's, you know, I'm liberal, I support having a Palestinian state. I mean, I want there to be an Israel and a Palestine side by side living peacefully. That's my dream. It doesn't matter. Like whenever I go and I talk to someone in Europe, then it's always, oh, so you were in the army. So how many Palestinians did you kill? Oh, so yeah, the occupation and, and Gaza. And how can you do that? How can you support a government that does these kinds of things? You know, like the government represents you. You're responsible. And you're kind of the entire burden of a hundred years of conflict and history is placed on your shoulders. And a lot of people also don't get why Israel even needs to exist, which is to me ridiculous, you know, that I have to explain why I, as a Jewish person, 
and I, as I said, it's an ethnic group. Why do Italians deserve a country then? Why do Japanese people deserve a country? Jews deserve a country too. And obviously it would be in Israel because that's the only territory to, we, we ha- to which we have an actual connection. Like what, you want me to set up a country in Africa? That's not colonialist at all. I mean, where else would we go? It's just constantly being in, in, under this like magnifying glass of why should you and why do you deserve this? And only a Jew would have to justify why they deserve a country, why we deserve to have this kind of recognition and a home. Only we have to defend it. And there are many countries in the world who are younger than us. Nobody questions their right to exist. Saudi Arabia is younger than Israel. The UAE, Bahrain. Those countries are much younger. Nobody ever asked why does Bahrain deserve to exist, regardless of what conflicts they're in. So yeah, my, I mean, are there problems with Israel? And has this conflict with the Palestinians gone totally off the rails? Of, of course, is occupation okay? Of course not. You know, but all these things can be solved without you know, wishing Israel out of existence. And to have this attack on your nationality and your background coming at you. When I was in college, I was I did my master's here in London. Every house party I would go to, I would find myself in a corner somewhere, you know, finding myself defending the policies of Israel, even though like, why should I? I'm not responsible for it. I never voted for the government there. I mean, I'm just as frustrated, but it's on me somehow. And I have to justify why my country needs to exist because people didn't learn their history. So yeah, that, that is something that as an Israeli, it's really, really difficult. I understand people's frustration with it, even though I don't understand why it is that this specific conflict somehow has become the conflict in the world. I mean, look at what's happening in China with the Uyghurs. Look at what's happening in so many other places in the world. I mean, the Ukraine with Russia and stuff like that. I mean... Nobody talks about those things at the dinner party or everybody kind of agrees and then nobody kind of really talks about it. It's not an issue. But then Israel-Palestine, it's like this thing that kind of identifies you too. Dan reflects on his understanding of stereotypes. I think stereotypes tied to your Jewishness are always going to be racist. The fact that it's not harmful necessarily doesn't make it less racist. I mean, a lot of people hold racist views, but they don't act on them and they don't really do anything about it. I mean, does it make them less racist? No, they're still racist. They just don't hit people for it. So as I said before, you know, I've gotten a lot of really funny and weird questions for being Jewish and, you know, oh, you don't look Jewish and oh, you're this and shouldn't you be doing that? And shouldn't you be eating this? And oh, you must be so rich or oh, you probably are like this and that. I mean, you know, I laugh it off when I'm talking to people who really don't know, and I recognize that it's coming from ignorance or from a place of not really having met a Jewish person. You know, so many people have never met a Jewish person in their life. There aren't that many of us. Like, I always forget about that. But there aren't that many Jewish people. Um, and a lot of people have never met a Jewish person. So they really don't know what opinion to form about a Jewish person until, uh, except for what they hear about in the media and in the news and all these crazy anti-Semitic conspiracy theories about, you know, George Soros and whatever. So even if I feel like people are being low-key racist to me about it with some silly stereotypes, I feel like you can always tell if it's coming from a bad place or if it's coming from a place of ignorance. It doesn't make it necessarily less racist, but I think it makes the motive different. And I think that, I mean, some people are open to learning. You know, once they learn that you're different from what they thought, then that's it. Then that stereotype is gone. Other people persist with keeping those stereotypes alive against all evidence because their belief system is established on it. Why that is, I mean, I I wish I knew I would be able to fix it much more easily. Maybe again, it's that need to feel better than others, to feel like you're superior to someone 
even though you're rock bottom yourself. To avoid any repercussions related to his identity, Dan says he developed the ability to blend in with his surroundings, which he sees both as a blessing and a curse. When I sometimes go around London and I'm in neighborhoods that are predominantly Arab, a lot of times my barber used to be Arab. And, you know, we were chatting, whatever, and it was super nice. And um, he was asking me where I was from. And I didn't say that I was from Israel because I didn't know how he would react. And a person standing with a razor right next to your neck, I didn't really want to take that risk. So, I mean, these are very small things, but they're very real things. A lot of times people would ask me where I'm from, you know, a cab driver, you know, when you're making small talk. And I wouldn't say Israel necessarily every time. I would mostly say, yeah, I'm from Germany. Or I'd put all my fake British accent, I'd say I'm from here, you know, just to kind of not put myself in a position where I might be at risk. And that's very sad that I have to do that now that I think about it. But I would rather just lie my way into just like, you know, let's not talk about this. Let's not open this up and just get home safe rather than be the social justice warrior and try and, you know, change everybody's minds because it's, A, it's exhausting. B, and it can really put you in danger. And that's that's another thing that's hard about being Jewish and being Israeli. I, I don't, I, I again, I'm passing as white. And so it puts you in that dilemma. You know, if you're black or if you're Asian, you don't have that option of hiding it away. You look different. You wear it on your skin. And that immediately puts you either in danger or in, at risk of being discriminated against. My boyfriend is Indian. And the amount of times that he's been discriminated against just because he's a little bit darker. I mean, he lives in Europe too. For him, it's really, really hard a lot of times. People assume so many things about him that they wouldn't assume about me when they see me. And on the one hand, I'm grateful for it. I know I'm privileged. On the other hand, it's very, very frustrating because it always puts you in the dilemma of hiding yourself and passing. Dan reflects how his sexual orientation shaped his view and understanding on issues related to race and racism. I haven't really come across any kind of negative treatment for being gay um, as much as I have for being Israeli or being Jewish. I think definitely... In terms of scale, it's been the worst for being Israeli, then for being Jewish, then for being gay in Europe, which is kind of yay for gay people, but I mean, it doesn't really help me much personally. But I think being gay has been good in that it helped me develop a much more, let's say, emotional and empathetic kind of understanding of what minorities go through, which a lot of Jewish people in Israel don't really get to develop that on that same level because they're the, always the majority. You know, they're always the, the in-group. There is nothing that challenges their superiority. Being gay in Israel, you know, and when I was growing up, it was still not something that was as welcomed. It was still something that was a bit taboo in a lot of households in Israel, it still is. I mean, there are parts of Israeli society that are very conservative. And I was worried before I told my parents. I didn't, I wasn't, you know, prancing in high heels when I was, 14 and my parents were like yes queen you know it was not like that and my parents were okay with it they were not over the moon it took them a while to get used to it as well and being in the closet and understanding what it is to be scared and ashamed of who you are and worried about the repercussions of how you're going to be treated just because of some element in you that you have zero control over I feel like that has definitely informed my view of the world and also how I am able to maybe more critically look at elements of Israeli society that a lot of other Israelis might not see because they don't have that personal experience of being oppressed in any way.
So there is an intersectionality there. And definitely, I think, you know, once you're one type of a minority, I think it makes you more prone to be sympathetic to others. That's been my experience, at least. I'm the biggest feminist you can find, for example. And um, I mean, that's why I also, you know, I, I'm very much liberal in Israel. And that I, I do support a two-state solution, which is something that it, it's very liberal in Israel. Not everyone does. And I do that because I have now Arab friends, I have Palestinian friends, and I understand their perspectives and I feel for them and the, the tragedy that their nation has gone through. I feel like I don't, I don't get it when Jewish people don't relate to those kinds of experiences because of the history of persecution that our people have. And then I always kind of don't get it. Against the background of his experiences with racism, Dan sees problematic elements in current discourses against racism. When the whole Black Lives Matter protest started in the U.S. Um, this summer, not originally, and there was the whole social media frenzy going around it. And I actually felt that it was so oppressive almost because it was, this is what you have to say. You have to say it now. You have to use these words. You can only use these sources. You can only echo these people. And this is how you're fighting racism, by doing A, B, C, that's it. And it actually made me so uncomfortable because my connection to the issue of anti-racism is totally different, you know, and I come from a different place. And the influences that I've had in my life about anti-racism are not necessarily just from the African-American community. And that's not the issue that's been consuming my life because that's not an issue that's big in Israel. But I still support the cause. But I can only support the cause in so many ways. And I feel like on the left, the liberal left, it's become extremely regimented how you're supposed to be anti-racist. What does anti-racism mean? Who can you echo and why? And everything has to come from a person who has personally been persecuted and victimized. And there's been this glorification of victimization that is really, really bothering me because you, you have to be empowered, but only in a certain way. And you have to keep hammering on about the suffering and the pain and the everything. And it, instead of being positive and inspirational and happy and joyous and, and demanding respect for your core humanity and equality for that. So to me, that was really alienating when, it, when the, all that was happening. And another thing that really bothers me, for example, is the discussion about representation nowadays, where you know, you just check it off the list by hiring an Asian person or having a black actor on that show or having a gay plot line in every single TV show that I see. And then it's like, oh, well, you know, we're liberal. There is no problem in the world. I feel like that's a very American, again, point of view because of the issues that America has. It's a very American solution in that it's superficial, doesn't help anyone, doesn't lift anyone up. And to me personally, representation has become this goal instead of a tool. Like it's all about having really colorful casts and telling these stories as they came from that Twitter feed that you saw. You know, there is no effort into really humanizing and making complex characters that are rich with layers and like really making people connect and understand people who are not like that. You know, it's all about pandering to yourself and the people who you're, you're kind of preaching to the choir all the time. And to me, that's not what you're supposed to do when you're anti-racist. To me, to be anti-racist, to, to fight racism means to make people understand that what they thought about that certain person is wrong and that those assumptions are wrong and that you need to be able to give people a chance to just be who they are and not assume anything about them because they're capable of anything just like you because there is no difference. So to me, hammering on about identity and the differences 
and how different I am from you and how you will never understand me because you do not have my life experiences. And so nobody else can represent me because they never had my life experiences. To me, that is so tribal and so toxic and entrenches racism in a way that I don't think will ever get to the right place. Dan has the following to say about what he thinks it takes to be anti-racist. I think for me to be anti-racist is to really put humanity first. And how to best do that? Really just coming with an open mind and not assuming anything. And opening your mind to people with different stories, to read about people with different experiences. I feel like another thing that's really important is to kind of try and really push yourself in the context of racism to try and hear those stories of communities that we don't hear about enough. And it's very easy to talk about racism in the African-American community. Native Americans are never spoken about. And the trials and tribulations that the Native American community has suffered from, for example, to me, I mean, it's nothing less than genocide. And there isn't even the sliver of the right conversation, start of a conversation in America about how to make it right to Native American people. And it's very, very interesting to notice what narratives are missing from our conversations about racism and why that is, and how do we bring those to light in the best possible way? How do we highlight them? I mean, this past year, I've read a bunch of books about Native Americans. I've kind of spoken to a bunch of my American friends about it. And I've been like, they're like, oh, what's the matter with you? Like, why are you so like on about Native Americans already? Like, chill out, you know? And I'm like, no, no, you need to talk about this as an American. You need to understand it. You know, it just bothers me so much. I mean, I don't want to be preachy, but I feel like some stories that's why, for example, the Uyghurs in China, it's something that really touched a nerve, it hit a nerve with me. It bothers me so much that people are not making as big of a deal out of it as they should. Like 100%, it's an attempted genocide, erasing the national identity of people, even if not destroying the people themselves. It's erasing their, their, their sense of self. And nobody really talks about it beyond the tokenism of a hashtag or a boycott on a factory that was discovered to be doing something wrong, you know? China just does whatever China wants. Chinese people are not having these conversations, probably, not the, what, that we know because whatever is coming out of China is so controlled, so we don't know. But what conversations we have about it, we can control. And I don't think we're doing a great job. And these are two issues that are, by the way, not that secret, you know? It's not like I did that much digging to find out that there was a problem with these two communities, the Uyghurs and the Native Americans. There are so many other stories that probably I never hear about, but I feel like it's always about pushing yourself to know a bit more. You can find more information about anti-Semitism in Europe, as well as other articles, books, and videos Dan recommends people to take a look at on our website, www.ourcontext.org. You can also find the transcript of this episode on our website in English, French, German, and Italian. If you have a personal story to share, reach out to us on our website, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us by typing in hashtag our underscore racism. This is Fumi and hashtag our racism. See you in two weeks. This episode was produced and edited by me, Fumi. Introductory score by Luca Nioi. Other music by Pete Morse, Crescent Music, and Fugu Vibes. A big thank you to Dan for his time and energy in sharing his daily struggles with us and raising important reflections on this issue.